Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. As a matter of fact, not that I hope the praise team is sick every Sunday, but we, we certainly, you know, when things are different, it's not a bad thing. Okay, <laughs> I just lost three people. Um, when things are different, it's not a bad thing. God, God is in the midst of all things. All right, so now let me ask you another question. What's happening in two days? Another day, all right. But what, what about our elections coming up? All right. Um, anybody nervous? Okay. Well, here, here's the thing. Um, first of all, vote. Okay. Now, this is not my little political spiel before I get into the word. But vote. But as we'll talk about in a moment, when you get in the word and you pray, I, I, want, you to, I want you to vote according to how God is dealing with your heart. Now, and somebody is bound to say, even if you're watching, somebody's bound to say, well, yeah, if you're, you know, if you, Christians are this or Christians vote like. No, I, I want you to look at it through the lens of the Holy Spirit, through the lens of God's Word, okay? Because if not, it brings division. And we're not, I'm not about that. Our world is, is divided, amen? And, and we as a church need to be the bomb. We need to be the healing agent in our culture. Now, this, this goes right into what I'm talking about this morning because we're going to be celebrating communion here in a few minutes. But what does the Word have for us? If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 11. I'm going to get there in just a moment. But in, in the New Testament, when we see Jesus uh, preparing his disciples with this, what we call the Last Supper, what we call communion, um, was a love feast. It actually, when Jesus is with his disciples, they're celebrating Passover. And Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, and they're celebrating Passover. And it's during this Passover meal that Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it, and he takes the, the cup, and he blesses it. Um, as a matter of fact, it's in Luke 11 that we really are, in Luke uh, 22, where we really see <clears throat> that it was the, definitely the Passover meal, because sometimes we read it, and it's just like Jesus just does this part, the bread and the wine. But it's a meal. It's the Passover meal that Jesus says, this is the last one. This is the last one you're going to have to do like this because after I go, after my crucifixion and resurrection, there will never, there will never be another meal like this. Not until the day that we have the, the, the feast in heaven. Now, here's, here's where we're going this morning. <clears throat> uh, this is my, if you will, political message of the year. But it's not because we're voting Tuesday. Yes, we're voting Tuesday, but there's more division in the world than we've ever seen in a very long time in our nation, it, which bleeds into our churches, which bleeds into your families. You know, you don't have to raise your hands on this, but how many of you have family members that you're not talking to each other because they believe this and you believe this? So you're just, you're trying to keep peace till Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> wherever my three people went, I need you badly. Um, listen to what the Word of God says, because they, they had celebrated this, and Matthew, Jesus institutes this. We see it in Mark, we see it in Luke. But I want us to look and, and just see how that this feast begins. Exodus says that now this day will be remembered to you. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance, Passover. The Passover represented deliverance physically. The children of Israel coming out of Egypt. The Lord's Supper represents our deliverance spiritually. The Passover represented 
a deliverance that was temporary. Because we know that the children of Israel, just like us, have a, a way of being able to get back into bondage if we're not careful. But through Jesus Christ, deliverance is permanent. Uh, through the old covenant, there had to be a sacrifice made on a regular basis. Through the new covenant, Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. Something about the old covenant too, and Moses mentioned this, but Jesus lets us know in the New Testament. See, a covenant is not a contract. A covenant is not like, I'll keep up my end of the bargain when you keep up your end of the bargain. That, some think about that in those terms. But when Jesus gives us this new covenant, it's not if you're good enough. He paid the price. It's never are you deserving if you keep up your end of the bargain, you'll be saved. No, 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 no. It, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Everybody needs to say, praise the Lord. But something happens. Uh, and I'm just setting this up before we read in 1 Corinthians. Something happens that even taking the Lord's Supper, even being reminded of this on a regular basis, it happens in the New Testament. This is a quick history lesson, real quick. Up until about 100 um, A.D., after... Christ had died, risen, and ascended. Even a hundred years later, the Didache, or, or a teaching, the written teachings, talked about the love feast. So they made this a part of a meal. So it wasn't just they met as a church service and had teaching and had um, remote uh, virtual worship, and then they served the elements. It was a part of a meal. They would get together and love on each other and just Talk about the Lord. Talk about what God is doing. Maybe in modern-day churches, we call it fellowship. If you're old enough, have you ever heard of a potluck? Okay, that was like surprise food, and you always wanted people to label their dishes because you could know who cooked what, you know what I'm saying? Um, here's, here's what's happened, though. About, about year 150, we see this in the writings of Justin. It stopped becoming a love feast because they, it, it was constantly taken advantage of. And it became more of what they call the Eucharist or Thanksgiving. So they would pause in their services and have Thanksgiving. And that, that's why a lot of churches do communion every Sunday. Okay, a lot of churches. Maybe you were raised in a church that, that served communion every Sunday. Some churches, you know, we try to do it at least the first Sunday of every month. Some churches, uh, and again, you don't have to raise your hands, but maybe you've been in a church where doing communion was something that you did maybe twice a year, Christmas and Easter. Um, now, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing, but when you understand what this represents, I'm hoping that you might even mentally think, wow, I need to do that every day. That's something I need to practice every day. And maybe not with the physical elements. But let's look at this. Why? Because it, it, it gets abusive at times. Listen to what Jude said before we get to uh, Paul's writings. There are spots, there are places in your love feast that while they feast without fear, serving only themselves, they become, now he's talking to the church, they become like clouds without water, blown by the wind, are late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. In other words, you can be in the church and absolutely useless if you don't understand the purpose of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, how is that possible? Um, here's what it sounds like when Jude describes it. They're grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of your Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust and these sensual persons who caused division not having the Spirit. Now, now, this is a word of correction, because Jude is telling them, listen, we're here to focus on Jesus, and when you don't focus on Jesus, you get focused on other things. Okay? So when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, it's not that 
communion became unimportant, they loved the love feast. The Corinthians was a partying church. Hello? When you, when you read a lot of Paul's teachings, especially to the Corinthians, he is constantly, I can almost see Paul writing the letters to the Corinthians. Oh, Lord, here we go. They're going to need a second letter, Lord. All right? Be, be, why? Because they, are you ready? Just like you and me. Just like you and me. Human, um, frail, silly, like sheep who have gone astray. That's sort of like saying we're stupid because sheep aren't very smart. Um, now, now here's, here's the point. Paul speaks to the Corinthian church because he wants them to understand that if you miss the point of this fellowship, now again, we only do this once, once a month. The New Testament church did it every time. The love feast, every time they got together, there was a meal. That's how they met. They celebrated Jesus. That's why the, the Word of God even tells us, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Why? Because you forget. Forget what it's all about. You, if, and if you don't make Jesus Christ the focus, you can gather and forget what it's about. So let's, let's look at three areas very quickly that I think we become insensitive to. It's not that we're sensitive. We are sensitive. But we come, become insensitive to these things if we're not careful. Communion ought to bring us together, not tear us apart. Communion ought to build us as the church, not tear us apart. So listen, these three areas very quickly. Do not be insensitive to your church family. Preparing for communion means I've got to understand I cannot be insensitive to my brothers and sisters here in the church. Listen to what Paul says in, in chapter 11, starting at verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there, there must also be factions among you that these who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, you come together in one place. It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What do you have, houses to eat and drink in? Can't you take care of business before you get here? That's paraphrased. Are you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you in this. The purpose of the passage that we're reading is not just to come down on them. It's to help them understand. Listen, when you're gathering, Jesus needs to be the focus, but if you don't make Jesus the focus, everything else becomes the focus. And we're talking about, we're talking about the church family. I'm not even going to bring the culture into it right now. Let's just talk about us. See, the family of God gathers to worship. What is communion supposed to be? It's supposed to be about Jesus, guys. Us coming together in corporate worship is supposed to be about Jesus. Um, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest with myself, it, it's, it's easy to get saved, thank you, Jesus, but then the rest of my life is, what are my gifts? What is my calling? My, 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 me. How do I build me up? How do I get recognition? I, and after all, I think, thank the Lord we don't experience this. I, I want recognition. I'm better than they are. I'm more gifted than they are. And Paul is saying, you know, I've been hearing about this. Now I believe it. It's, it's about Jesus. When we get our eyes off of Jesus, those kind of things creep in. Now don't, please, don't, don't shut down on me. This might seem a little stern, but that's where Paul is going. Um, Paul speaks to them in regards to, guys, we're going we're gonna to examine in just a minute, but he says, guys, listen, 
this is happening. Let me show you what's happening. And he holds the mirror up to their face. Listen, here's what I promise you. We're going to use Corinthians as the example, okay? I'm never going to come in here and say, listen, I've met with some of you today. Here's what I saw. But that's what Paul's doing. He's pointing at families in the church. You know, you're drunk. You know, you're gossiping. See, I'm pointing now. I'm going to get in trouble, I know. You know, <laughs> you know you, you've been doing this, and you've been doing this, and you've been. He wasn't trying to call people out. He was trying to say, listen, we're a family. The elephant in the room is not an elephant in the room. It's more obvious than you think. What should be the center of the room is Jesus Christ. But, but here's what happens sometimes when, when we become insensitive to our church family. We put ourselves first. He even talked about those who were wealthy, making sure they got there and they ate what they wanted to, and whoever didn't get there soon enough, whatever. You know? And hey, full confession. I always, you know, whenever we go to those big church potlucks, you know, the pandemic sort of cured that for a while, hasn't it? <clears throat> but, uh, you know, we would go to the ch- big fellowships or big cookouts, and the pastor would get up and pray, and after he would pray, he would say, now, uh, if all the ladies who have children would go first, I'd be like, what? I'm starving, man. I, I help set up all these tables. At least the table setter-uppers should go first, you know? We all have that because we, we, we know the kids are going to touch stuff and the, the kids are going to, you know, take stuff that you know they're not going to eat and it's your favorite dish. The point is we all have ways of catching an attitude. And I know that may sound silly, but it's when it grows. It's when it grows. Now, when you're going to the next church potluck, you've already got an attitude. I know it's tight but it's right. It's, it's, it's because it, it just grows because if I'm not constantly reminded of why I'm here, I create my own reason of being here. Make sense? So, so we find them, they're, they're causing division. They're not sharing. The wealthy believers are doing what they want to do. They're shaming those who are less fortunate. He doesn't give us specifics on this, but I wonder if we could relate that to our lives somehow. I know just looking at the culture around us, we become insensitive to how we treat others, even if they're not believers. And, and I had a powerful conversation with a young lady this week about how that, you know, sometimes we have to just love people where they are. Because if we scream in their face that Jesus is the answer, that's never going to win them over. Now, I know sometimes you have to be bold. I'm not talking about a lackluster Christianity. I'm talking about loving people where they are. It's easier to hate them where they are. It's hard. It's hard work to love people where they are. But when you love people where they are, you'll find that you can reach them easier. But we, we don't treat each other the same way. When we become insensitive, we talk about each other. When we become insensitive, we have our own agendas. Now, I, I do want to just take this for a moment, and, and if, if you feel like I'm getting off the path here, just uh, turn the volume down just for a second. Not me, Michael. In your mind. Here's, <clears throat> here's what happens when the politics get involved. Here's what happens when you start making the media your Bible rather than the Word of God. Here's what happens when you start to make the political agendas your Bible rather than God. You start to have agendas. You start to have narratives. And instead of the narrative coming from the Word of God, you created narratives over here. And I I promise you guys, I don't care. Now, you'll notice I'm not using any language to describe any of those narratives. Because I don't care what you call yourself, you better call yourself a Christian. Um, you, are not a, um, you are not a Republican or a Democrat who is a Christian. You better be a Christian first. 
because that navigates what you become. That being a Christian should navigate your worldview because it's filtered through Jesus Christ. The reason, and I'm going to get to this in a moment, I'm a little ahead of myself, but the, the reason some of you, you're so depressed and frustrated and upset with the world around you is because Jesus isn't answering your agenda. Jesus isn't answering the questions and your prayers because you're praying for your agenda, whatever your agenda is, whatever your view is. Well, I believe we all have a right. Well, there you go, that good old American dream. Because I'm going to mess some of you up. You ready? God is not an American. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I'm not anti-America. We're the greatest nation on this planet. And I know we've got some strong leaders from other nations, but I believe America is the greatest nation on this planet. But God created the universe. Everyone on this planet can be a child of God. So we can't Americanize our theology. Because when you do, you will have agendas that are not godly. When you try to republicanize or Democrat stamp your theology, you will have to ask God to bless agendas that are not godly. Who do we vote for? I'd pray hard. I'd pray hard. Because at some point, whoever, listen, <clears throat> here's the other beauty of this. You get to live out whatever you vote. So whatever we vote, you know, even, even if your person wins or if your person doesn't win, your convictions will be lived out. So it needs to be a biblical, am I making any sense? And here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's messing some of you up. Not from my agenda, but from simply the Word of God. How, how do I vote? God, I'm, I'm going to the box. I'm going in. I'm going to fill in. I, I've already voted. I was one of the people who said, I'm going to do this early this time. I think everybody has done that this time. Tuesdays, there's nobody going to be in line, I promise you. Everybody has going to have voted early. And if you haven't, just wait till Tuesday. I don't believe there's going to be a lot of lines because everybody's voted. But here's, here's the bottom line. Even as I was standing there, already thinking how I think I'm going to vote, I was already saying, Lord, now please, Father, I want to make sure, because I know, I know all the agendas of all. And see, I've got to be honest with you. There's agendas on both sides that I'm like, God, this just doesn't. And, and can I just say this without being judgmental? If you're voting for a person, you don't have a choice. If you're voting for the moral angel, there's not one. By the way, there's no moral angels here either. If you're voting for perfection, you're, you're, you're not, you don't have a choice. But when you look at the, at the big picture, just pray, guys. Seek his face. Pick, picture a world that when, when the things you're voting for turns up in five years, what it's going to look like. Now, I'm, I'm saying that because if we're not careful, if we don't keep Jesus first, all those things divide us. If we don't keep Jesus first, let's talk about racism. Okay? Now, and let me just say this too. I know that sometimes when I say what I'm saying, I make it sound so simple that people roll their eyes. And they're like, come on, okay, give me a break. But let me ask you a question. <clears throat> No matter who you're hanging out with, if, if you are focused on Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, and you're living out the world, how in the world can you hate your brother? Um, if, if you're married, okay, for any length of time, and married couples don't, don't look at each other right now. If you're married for any length of time, <clears throat> you're going to have discussions. And some of them are going to be louder than others. Some of those discussions are going to involve descriptions of each other that are probably ungodly and unholy. 
But, but it's amazing how that if you were to sit down and say, wait a minute, what is Jesus saying? Even, even on the inside when you're like, man, I can't stand it when she's right. She keeps bringing up Jesus right when I've got a good... Mm. What does that mean? Then when you focus on Jesus, you have to focus on healing. Just take this home just a little bit more. If I were to line five people up here of every different color in this church, but we all focused on Jesus, you would not be able to tell me the colors of the people standing on this stage. Now wait, see, here's, here's the thing. Pastor, come on. That's so simple. No, it shouldn't be in the body of Christ. The world doesn't understand it because there's too many agendas going on, guys. There, there's a white agenda. There's all kind of agendas going on. But if we focus on Jesus Christ, that becomes our agenda. I hope I'm making sense. Because it sounds too easy, but Jesus paid it all. We're the ones that make it difficult. I'm the one that's hard to live with, if I'm honest. And, and if it gets into the church, let me ask you a question. How is the church supposed to be effective if we can't even get along? If there's division here, and we're telling the world, you need Jesus, their response is, what for? Have you looked into the mirror lately? <laughs> this is good. You're just not acting like it. <clears throat> here's, here's the second thing that we become insensitive to if we're not careful, the death of Christ. Can you imagine? Listen to what he says in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord, listen, he describes what Jesus is doing. He took the bread on that night that he was betrayed, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now, in this passage, Paul used broken. In the Gospels, the word broken is never used. And it's not, it's not because Paul is trying to change things. It's, it's that when Jesus says, my this is bread is broken for you. We know throughout the word of God that Jesus, the Lamb of God, not a bone was broken. So this isn't about Jesus getting broken up. This is everything about what Jesus is doing. When you pass this bread around this table, when we pass this wine around the table, this means we are all partakers in what Jesus has done. We are all benefactors. in what. It's not just for one of us, it's for all of us. It's not just for a few of us, because even the betrayer was sitting at the table. See, Jesus gave himself, even though he knew the one that would proverbially stab him in the back was sitting right there. He loved him anyway. He knew, if, if we looked at, at uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Peter and the other disciples, right after Jesus had made that same statement and, and passed the cup and said, this is my blood, drink. The disciples got right up after Judas left the room, and guess what their discussion was? Who's going to be the greatest? Who, are you going to be in charge? When you, you know, he just said he's gone, so I mean, who's going to be in charge? Now, I'm not trying to be silly about this, but I can't even imagine what Jesus was thinking. Um, now, in, when, you when you study the Gospels, the disciples were good about one thing, missing the whole point. Now, does that sound familiar? Can I get a... Sometimes do you feel like you just missed the whole point? And, and because your feelings kick in, then you make decisions based on your feelings, not based on the point. Because even when they're sitting there listening to Jesus, this is my body. They're celebrating Passover. They know what that means, but now Jesus is shifting gears. He's been setting them up for this for three years. And now he says, this is my body. Take and eat. This is my blood. Take. Who's going who's gonna to be first? Who's going to be the boss? And Jesus, in the dialogue, and we see this throughout the Gospels, talks about real, real leadership will serve. But then he, here's, here's my point. He looks at Peter, 
And he said, Peter, Satan desires to, to sift you as wheat. And you're going to blow it. But when you return, encourage my disciples. Now, now he's talking to the one who will preach the day of Pentecost message. And here's what he's saying. He's standing in front of Peter before he goes to the cross, and he says, Peter, you're going to fail me miserably. I already, I already know you're going to fail me. I've just got a word for somebody this morning. He already knows that you have failed him. He already knows you're going to fail him. But I love it because he makes a way of return. He says, but Peter, when you return. Can I, can I say this? I believe that even Judas could have returned. I believe Judas, if he would have come to Christ and said, I'm so sorry, just like the thief on the cross today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus knows you're going to blow it. Now, so pastor, are you saying it's okay for us to go out and blow it? Um, no. Because there's consequences to you blowing it. There's consequences. I mean, Jesus, uh, Judas, uh, Peter has to stand there around the fire, bold foe face denying and lying that he even knows Jesus while he's looking over, and, and I don't know that Jesus didn't look over. See, I told you. you yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. Now, Jesus doesn't condemn us, but we do ourselves. Stop beating yourself over what you did. And start looking at what he's done. Stop. See, the reason he says do this in remembrance of me is we have a tendency to make it about us. And we get attitudes and we get division and we get brokenness and we, we get all this stuff going on in the church that doesn't belong in the church. And then we wonder why the church can't be effective. Or we forget his death. And we forget that he paid a price for us. And we live beating ourselves up. Am I making any sense? We live beating ourselves up and, and just dragging ourselves through the proverbial history of our lives. You see, when we remember this, we remember that he was the sacrifice for us. He was the substitute for us. He was the satisfaction against God's wrath. Our righteousness was as filthy rags, but he clothed us in his righteousness. And see, sometimes when we come to church, can I just say this? When we come to church, or watch church, we have a tendency to say, I didn't get anything out of that today. Well, this isn't about you. This isn't about can you get something out of it. It's remembering what he gave to you. This is his body. This is his blood that forgave you of your sins. Just that right there, you should be able to leave here today going, thank God, I'm saved. Thank, praise God. I was reminded that I was saved. When I came in, I was, oh, man, what I did last week and what I did last month and what I said and my attitudes and what I thought about Trump and what I thought about Biden and what I said about my mother. All that can be forgotten because you remember. You remember what you've done. Now, am, am I attacking how you feel about church? Yes. On purpose. Because we have this tendency, and I've even joked about it, even to our online group. You know, if you're not singing their favorite song, click. Just click. I probably got click right there. Because <laughs> there's, there's a thousand websites going on right now with, with a thousand churches trying to stream right now with four viewers, and I just got clicked again. But here's what happens here. You, you click. You have a way of clicking. Yeah, that's not me, whatever. Yeah, well, he's, he's talking to him, but he's not talking to me. Because, see, we, we, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, I'm not meddling, this is just truth. I didn't get anything because they didn't sing my favorite song. Or the, the pastor never does this, or the greeters never do this, or we don't have Paneras anymore. Paneras are, are pastries. We've not seen them for nine months, but they're pastries. 
that you used to be able to eat before service. Remember that? Remember the good old days? So, so we get wrapped up in ourselves. It causes division. And you can literally come to the Lord's table and leave unfulfilled. Leave frustrated. Leave angry. When what Paul is saying is when you come and, and you are insensitive to his death, you will miss it. But when you realize what he's done, now you're back to the purpose. So, so what's the solution? Paul says <clears throat> that we should not be insensitive about examining ourselves. Don't be insensitive to your responsibility to examine. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord is unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, listen, <clears throat> for this reason, many are weak and sick among you. Many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not judge. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brother, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. In other words, again, we're talking about the love feast there. So if he's saying, if you're starving, eat something before you come. Now, we're, in, in what we're here, having here, we're, we're celebrating the Lord's table without a full meal. So it's not about, will anybody eat too many wafers? It's, it's understanding what we're doing. But Paul is saying, listen, come for the right reasons. Come for the right reasons. Examine yourself. Let him eat before he comes, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest will set in order when I come. Now, what is he saying here? A couple things very quickly. He says, first of all, if you partake unworthily, you'll be guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord. In other words, if you just come in and this just becomes ritual, or you just come to church, see, we just do this once a month. But how many know that anything can become ritual? Anything can become just something you do. Well, it's time to go to church. You're not going to get squat out of that. Well, I have to go to church. You know, I was raised in a drug program. My dad was a pastor. I was drugged to church three times a week. Okay, that's an old joke. Some, some of you are slower than the others. You'll get it later. But here's, here's my point. There was a lot of times when, when I felt like I was drugged to church and I would sit there, I always got in trouble because when, you, when you're a kid and you're drugged to church, you're going to get in trouble. Now, nowadays, they don't punish like I was punished. But, but here's, here's the fact. Even as adults, if we feel like we're forced into church, um, listen, don't live in that kind of bondage. Know why you come. It's to worship. Well, Pastor, you always say it's not about attending. You're absolutely right. It's not about attending. But are you the church? Do you gather somewhere? That, that's why we're even streaming right now, because we know people are not able to be here, and if they can be at home. In the first of this year, we're going to be trying to start groups that will intentionally meet at homes, because then they are intentionally meeting for this purpose, to hear the word and for lives to be changed and for them to grow. Because what happens when you forget the purpose? Division. You'll create your own agendas. You'll create your own belief systems. You'll create your own truths based on the Word of God. And, and he says, examine yourself. Examine why you're coming. Here's another one. He says, <clears throat> I want you to see the Lord's table is not flippantly experienced, but that he does so. If you do, you will judge yourself. You bring judgment on yourself. The believer must be careful, discern and practice what he is doing as a Christian. Because if you just do this flippantly, it shows up in your life. If this isn't a big deal, 
nothing else will be a big deal. If, if Jesus Christ is not the center, listen, something else will be the center. If Jesus Christ is not the focus, something else will be the focus. Now, let me just ask you a question. If, if you're asking the question, well, pastor, you know, my focus is this. Can't Jesus fit in somewhere? No. No. <laughs> I would love to be able to express that in a way that you appreciate it, but no. Um, you can't squeeze Jesus in somewhere. He demands allegiance. He demands surrender. Take up my cross. If you want to be a disciple, take up my cross and follow. This isn't about your perfection. He doesn't expect any of us to be perfect. He paid the price. He just wants us to be faithful. He'll use us. So he says, examine yourselves. He says, judgment will come. Many are weak and sick. Some have even died. Whoa. Pastor, what are you even suggesting? Paul says the issues that we're talking about are not just little, whoops, missed that one. Sorry, Lord. But when you don't examine yourself, again, you fall into a place in your life where you start accept, accepting patterns as the norm. And when you start accepting patterns as the norm, you wake up one day and you're living out an entire agenda that you're wondering why God's not blessing it. Um, <clears throat> a little different this morning, but Tony, would you please come? I asked Tony if he would, uh, powerful testimony, but I, I asked him if he would be willing just to share this testimony. Because when Tony shared this with me, it's a powerful example, and I'm going to let him share it of just what happens when we get our agendas from God's agenda and the importance of getting back. Tony? Oh, good morning. Uh, I was sharing something with the pastor this morning about uh, my life. Four years ago, I was in deep depression. I had heart disease. I was 332 pounds, if you can believe that. And... The Lord delivered me. Uh, I was asking the Lord on the way to the bathroom, why did the pastor ask me to share that this morning? And he, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, it was four years to the day. Remember I told mm -hmm. you it was November the mm -hmm. 1st? November 1st. It's November the 1st. I didn't know that God's always smaller than us. But anyway, to make a uh, long story short, uh, I was 332 pounds because God was not my focus. And I was in depression, short story, from burying my mother and my brother, not dealing with the grief of that, um, not reaching out to the Lord or my family in him, and dealing with that myself. So Jesus was not my first love. And I was, didn't know it, and I had my own agendas and I was called according to his purpose, and I had gotten away from that. But the Lord met me where I was, and um, you think one of the things that I left out was he rebuked me on November the 1st in the shower. He said, if you don't change your life, you're not going to be here much longer. True to my personality, I rebuked him. I looked up and said, Lord, I'm naked. Can we continue this conversation after the shower? He didn't say anything else until I finished. And I stepped out of the shower and started to dry off. And he said, I said to you, if you don't change your life. And I said, okay, Lord, I know. But he didn't tell me how. One week later, November the 8th, election night, I woke up at 2 in the morning because I'd had a dream. I was the same size I was in, one, in 2012, which was like 175, 180. And... Um, I got up, I went to the bathroom, and I won't tell you what I told the pastor or the Lord, but I'll clean it up a little bit. In the dream I woke up, I was, went, I was 180. I looked in the mirror after using the bathroom, I was still 332. So I said, Lord, I see that you're trying to tell me you have a vision for my life. You can change my life if I press into you about what I'm supposed to do. I believe. November the 8th. 
I still wasn't ready. I thought I was. I checked myself into the hospital December the 2nd, like three weeks later. I said, I'm not going to be sick one more day in this body, in this house, or working that way. So I was in a hospital for 13 days. The, down, the Lord downloaded me a plan of what I was supposed to do. I never went on a diet, but his plan included a lifestyle change, which is what he told me in the shower. And long story short, I started just by walking. Didn't start any heavy exercise, lifting, anything like that. Got a membership to the Y. was going two times a week. But the main thing was the lifestyle change. And, and what happened out of that was the main lifestyle change was back into fellowship and communion with him every day. That was the lifestyle change. And putting my eyes on him and healing came slowly. Mm -hmm. um, so... He was my cure for the depression. Um, he was my cure for my agendas. He didn't answer all of my prayers, but he answered the prayers that he prayed through me. Mm -hmm. And he had a plan for me. And, you know, the consequences for where I was was because of the decisions that I made. He still loved me, but he let me make those decisions. But he never condemned me. He said, this is where you are. This is where we need to go. And in closing, you know, my goal was to get back to like 180. I never thought I would. I didn't understand how I would ever do that. And I knew I couldn't do it of myself because if I could, I never would have been in that position. So long past 180, when I was like in the process, maybe like 150, and I'm 130 this morning, 129. So don't pass out which is where I was in high school, like a 27, 28, from a 46. So God is, he is amazing. He is really our deliverer in every sense of the word. Um, in, that, in that position, I couldn't love because I was miserable in my own body. But what was most missing was my first love, my mm -hmm. love for him. Mm -hmm. I had gotten away from that. And I was looking in the mirror. I said, Lord, I thought you only showed me that I would get to 180. I said, now I'm far beyond that. And he said, I showed you what you had faith to believe. What you're looking at is, and you, now you understand the scripture, then I'm able to do exceedingly more and abundantly than you can ever ask. <laughs> so even when we give up on ourselves, and I had filled the Lord, I'm like Peter. The Lord said, when you turn, strengthen your brother. Mm. Thank you, Tony. <clears throat> now listen, I, I, I so powerfully appreciate you sharing that. Because there's nobody here who hasn't had their own agenda. There's nobody here that, that started out serving the Lord, possibly, and somehow, that became a ritual. Coming to church became something else. And maybe you didn't leave the building, but as Jesus even says, you, you worship me wonderfully with your hands and your lips, but your heart has its own agenda. I wonder what it would look like if maybe we had a Tony moment. Lord, my life is, is um, out of control. You know what he's saying? He's saying, put the focus back on me. Lord, things in my life just don't make sense. Here I am. My body's given to you, and we can all partake. But Lord, my sin is great. I've really messed up my, my blood. Is shed for, for many for the remission of sin. All, all, he, all he wants us to do, all Paul is asking the Corinthian church to do, all Jesus wanted to give to the disciples, and he says, the reason he says do this in remembrance of me, because we forget. We forget. We forget. We build our own agendas. So Jesus says, do this often. Remember. This is the focus.
not, not, not the nice, shiny cover. Not, not the throwaway cups. But it's the, the literal presence of Christ. See, I didn't, I've not gotten into all the different beliefs of what happens during communion. But he is here. And the power of his Holy Spirit is still at work in our hearts, convicting, drawing. Um, I, I know how he works. He's tapping you on the shoulder right there. You know, that one, that one thing you keep getting hung up on, don't worry. Focus on me. That one area, that, that one sin, that one thought, that one thing, those many things, this blood, this bread. So I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to pray because I want us, Paul says, examine yourself. Am I really following Christ? Am I really, see, this isn't about a works issue. Sometimes we think we're really following Christ when we really are getting it all right. And we've not made any mistakes for two days in a row. We've not had any bad thoughts for Six hours straight, you know. We've not thought bad about someone, you know. How many get mad at Netflix? Or you get mad at television because of Netflix. There's no commercials on Netflix, right? And then you're watching TV and a commercial comes on and you're like, ooh, I hate TV. Um, it's, it's like Jesus is saying, I want you to walk in such a relationship with me not out of guilt, not out of shame. I just want to have a fellowship with you that only you can experience when you get close to me. Examine yourselves. Are you really where you need to be? Are you really, can you really have the influence at work that you need to have? Can you really have the influence at home? It's not too late, but it will demand surrender. And and a surrender to him. Here's what I want to do. We're going to just play some music very softly. <clears throat> I'm going to pray. But then I would like for you, at your leisure, over the next few minutes, just to come up and, and take one of these. And if you will, go back to your seat, and we'll, we'll receive it together. Because I want us to receive it as a meal together. But just practicing social distancing. Come up when you're ready after I pray. Is that okay? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we are here today for one reason and one reason only. You. Lord, we know that in you we'll be blessed. So, yes, we come for a blessing, but it's because of you. We look to you, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And Lord, we know that you paid the price for us. And Father, we do. We know that we get sidetracked. We know that we, we fall into our own agendas at times. We, we, Lord, get away from you like sheep. We stray off. Lord, and in the culture we live in, we, we buy into other narratives, Lord. And, and we run down those narratives. And, and Lord, we, we even wake up thinking we're making a difference only to realize we've not been with you. And we wonder why life feels empty. And we wonder why life feels like it does. Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, we examine ourselves honestly. And we come to you. Your word tells us that if we do it unworthily, without thought, without examination, we, we just heap judgment on ourselves. You're always loving us. You're always correcting. You're always moving. But Lord, when we refuse it, it becomes punishment. Lord, I pray that, that we understand you are desiring to make us strong today. Thank you for Tony's testimony, God, of how you've taken someone, and when they turn their life back to you, transformation takes place. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that maybe they've given up, they've, they've just sort of lost hope, that today it's been rekindled, that you are here, and they once again can experience you. And we pray this as we prepare our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
if you will, just at your leisure, come and, and take, and we'll go back to our seats and celebrate together. Praise the Lord. Does everybody have one that wants one? Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, even the Apostle Paul, it's all a little bit differently. But when Jesus took the bread, he broke it. He blessed it. And he said, this is my body which is given to you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup. Luke says it was the second cup of the meal. Because it was, depending on when you take this during the meal, it's, it's, uh, it symbolizes this one part. And it's that Jesus is saying, don't forget that my blood was shed for you for the remission of your sin. Your sins are forgiven. And listen, your sins are forgiven. Be free in the name of Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, can we all stand? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. Lord, thank you for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we are set free by you. Thank you for reminding us that you are risen, Lord, and that when we come together, it's not about rote, it's not about ritual, but we can come together and be reminded that our sins are forgiven. Our lives can be whole. Lord, that that when we go out this week, our lives can shine in the darkness. And Lord, even though we have a past in you, we have a present that has been forgiven and a future that has been redeemed. Now, God, I pray that you allow us to walk it out this week. Father, I pray for, for all of us, Lord, that as the world goes to a voting booth Tuesday, I pray for peace. I pray for us to shine like the light that you've called us to be. I pray that Jesus Christ be seen. Lord, when the world is is concerned about violence and casting fear, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that there be peace. I pray that the church would rise up even on Tuesday and just be a light, be a light at work or wherever we are that proclaims Jesus Christ. Lord, that, that means I love my brother. That means I prefer my brother and my sister. That means I I be a witness. That means I serve. That means I don't have to get my way. Why? Because I have a Savior who lived and modeled what we're talking about, and I want to be like you, Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you lead us, guide us, direct us. Remind us this afternoon. Help us to be reminded in the morning that you are Lord. We can do this every day, Father. We need to stay focused on you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being. This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. 
We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.